When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again! Quick by the tries it don't know, long we over, oh, what a goal! What a goal! It's Lucius McCulloch, saved it in! Barry Ferguson! Don't miss again, and it's there! Hartley and Weir comes up, Jets A tremendous Hamden Roar guest today. We've got a man synonymous with Scotland's 1998 qualifying campaign and World Cup appearance. It's Kevin Gallagher, former striker of the national team. Welcome to the Hamden Roar, Kevin. Oh, it's a pleasure being here, Andrew. Uh, I'm glad you guys asked me on, invited me on to it. No, I'm looking forward to hearing about your international days. Let's go back to the very beginning. First of all, when you... Were growing up uh, in the Central Belt in the 70s, did you have aspirations, serious aspirations of playing for Scotland when you grew up? Yeah, yeah. I think it was kind of mixed when I was younger because of my grandfather and because of the connections with Ireland. But when I was growing up, you know, I was for me, I was born in Scotland, brought up in Clybank and the way that Dad put it, yeah, it was your granddad and he did, he represented Ireland and, and so it was kind of one of those things. But... When I was at an age of ready for football, you know, Ireland never showed an interest. It was Scotland, and, and to me, that's where my allegiances lay, it was, was with Scotland. And, you know, I was just glad that when I reached that age at, for under-18s with Scotland, uh, I, I got that opportunity. And uh, from then on, it was it was always, for me, Scotland was where I was going to lie. I wasn't going to... I know in those days you couldn't jump allegiance, but there was no way I was going to, to follow Ireland. And... I know that was a background, but for me, it was Scotland all the way. For anyone who isn't aware, remind us, um, it was Patsy Gallagher, was your grandfather? Yeah, Patsy, absolute Celtic legend and that, and having to live up to the tag of being his grandson was, was quite a feat when I was in Scotland, so to get that opportunity to, to kind of move away from being under the shadow of him was uh, a big experience and a big jump for myself, but uh, I think I managed it. Absolutely. What are your earliest memories of the Scottish national team then? Would the 74 World Cup be too early, maybe 78 more? I think more 78, Argentina. Uh, I remember Holland. You know, I liked Holland. I liked the colour of the strip. I don't know what it was, the Dundee United connection or whatever it was by that stage, but, you know, I liked the, the orange strip. I liked Argentina. Uh, I, I liked how Argentina were a little bit dirty as well and how they looked after themselves. And I think... That kind of caught my eye with it uh, and kind of drove me to, to watching that World Cup and, and watching the way the Dutch played with the freedom and the way they pressed at different areas. But altogether, it was really weird. But I just thought, wow. And I think that was when I really went deep into football to, to sort of really watch it as, as taking part in it as well, you know. Did seeing the way the, the foreign players played impact the way that you styled your game at all when you're seeing these big names on the big stage? 
No, not necessarily. No, I think the way that I played, I was it's hard to put in a position. When I was a, a young kid at 11, I mean, I just I was freestyler. I played in wherever I wanted to play, wherever it suited me best. And generally, I was like a number 10 in today's game. I like playing behind the striker and in front of the midfielders. I could play my back to goal. And I scored all the goals at, at youth level and when I played with the Toker Boys Club. And, you know, and I wasn't captain, but I was there. And there were the great times at six or seven years at the Boys Club. Uh, as a centre midfielder but I was about three stone and I was so skinny you know I think people missed me I was like a goalpost and I think that kind of went against me when I got to 16 because I wasn't physically maturing in my body you know I was a 16 year old that looked still like a 13 year old boy and I looked at guys like Gordon McLeod to the Dundee United teammate of mine and, and went to play for the first team at 16 and I thought, wow, this guy, I mean, we're playing a youth team together and he's got a physique like a man, he's got a hairy chest. I'm like, wow, I can't believe this. So when am I going to get all this, you know? And you go, you look at your chest, you've got three little hairs stuck in the middle and it was a nightmare. And I thought, I'm not growing, but I was doing the same exercises. We're in the gym together all the time. And, you know, Walter Smith, Gordon Wallace, and I made sure to try to build me up and, to be fair, I was lifting the same weights as the guys, I was doing the same exercises, but my physical change just was not happening. Uh, it was really, really weird. And So for me, when I was 16 to 17 at Dundee United, that's where realistically it all kind of changed for me because I was an attacking centre midfielder. They didn't see me as that. It was probably the first time I ever came across Dundee United with the size scenario you're a little bit small for that position. And they just basically, they never said it, but what they did to me, they just said, we want you to watch a couple of three players. Paul Sturrock, Ralph Millen, and Graham Payne. Those three players watch, because that's the style of player that they think that I am. And, Sorry, go on. And, and basically, that was it. So... I had to sit out between the age of 16 to 17. I never kicked the ball. I think I went back to the Toker Boys Club once. I played one match for the Boys Club. And I just thought, no, this isn't for me. But I never played that season. Uh, so I had no football. I trained. I was in the gym. Uh, but I never played. I wasn't really included in the reserves. And, and it was kind of weird because I had one year then after that to try and impress the manager. I'd learned how to play in these new positions. Right wing. Or centre forward. What did they ask you to specifically change about your game? Nothing. They asked me to change nothing. They just asked me to watch these specific players. So they were obviously in hindsight pointing me in a direction of the way that they seen me playing. I wasn't physically going to be a centre midfielder in the Scottish game like a Graham Soonis and go and, and rattle people and, and do it. I wasn't that type of player. Um, but I also like the way that I played. I mean, running beyond... Dundee United didn't do that, but the way that they could culture and, and the way they could, they could manipulate my ball skills and put it in, they could see me playing as a right winger because I was rapid and very, very quick. But they could also see me doing what Paul Sturrock did and holding it up, running in behind. So there was a, the way that we played at Dundee United, they were, as I said, manipulating my skills to fit in with them. Unfortunately for me, eventually I got that opportunity and it paid off. Does it, 
spark the fire in your belly to go and play for the national team when you've got players around you at club level that are achieving that, people like Malpass or, or Neri that are coming back from uh, Scotland trips and maybe telling tales of uh, the game or who they've been playing against and lining up alongside? Definitely, definitely. You know, I, mean, I, I went up at 16 and, and Dundee United they just won the league. They just became Scottish champions and to walk up to Tanadice and, and go there as a 16-year-old lad and see these guys with the, the, the trophy, the league trophy there, uh, is a big eye-opener. We knew these were, so I knew they were personally something special, these players. You know, and then when you've got Neri, Hegarty, you know what I mean, Malpass, you've got these guys stir up all in the international setup. I mean, Bannon, you had them. They were just, it was unbelievable. And you knew that you were coming in amongst top, top, top players. You know what I mean? And the thing about it was they welcomed you. They did not press you down and say, you're coming to take my position. They tried to help you. And that was the thing about us and not being such a big, big club Dundee United, but with a conveyor belt of young talent that was coming through. And the older players helped us. And that was the good thing about it. They helped us because the manager, everybody knows what the manager was like. And as a young kid growing up with that, you know, I mean, with an iron rod, you're hitting you with iron rod all the time. You're thinking, am I actually doing well? Because when you do well, you get brought back down to earth. And you think, well, and it was just, he was always testing your temperament. And those players that passed that temperament test tended to go on and play for Jim McLean and, and be a success with him. And I think that was the things that people misunderstood with the manager as well. It's so much talent. He was so far ahead of his time that, when you see all these six or seven Scottish internationals that, that played for Scotland before my time, you just think, I want, to, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of them to get in that Dundee United team. But it'd be great just to be a Scottish internationalist because that's what I'd done in mum and dad's back garden. I played in the back garden. I was Scotland and I played Brazil in the World Cup final. Never won it, but I got to the World Cup final to play Brazil. And little did I know my dream would come true so many years later, but... You know what I mean? That was a little kid's dream in a back garden. Would he have made a good Scotland manager, Jim McLean? Uh, would he have made a good Scotland manager? Uh, coaching and helping out, yes, as he did with Alex Ferguson uh, when he took uh, over with that. I would say yes. Uh, as a Scotland manager, it might have been slightly different. I think Jim wouldn't have had the patience to be the Scotland manager. Um, I think that was the side of him. But working with a manager certainly would have suited him down to the ground, uh, no doubt about it. I personally thought when Sir Alex Ferguson uh, left and, and went to Manchester United, uh, I think the manager had an opportunity to go to Rangers. Uh, I thought that Jim McLean would have done that and become a massive success in Scottish football through Rangers or even somewhere else and maybe another club. But he just seemed to have his heart uh, at Dundee United and he believed he was he was Dundee United I think nowadays if you go and, and you get wee Jim and you cut him in half I'm sure it's, it's tangerine and black right the way through When did your involvement with the Scotland first team begin then? Was it the mid-80s? Did you start getting into conversation with the management team or was your call-up fairly out of the blue? It was really weird no, I, went, I was in the under-18s I started playing reserve football uh, and it was, I think it was Iceland we played Scotland under 18s were playing Iceland I'd been called up the first time ever to a national setup. 
uh, I thought, wow, it was unbelievable. The, we had the national team, the under-21s and the under-18s all travelled together. And going and seeing people like Kenny Douglas and Graham Sunnis in that squad, it was like, wow, this is, this is just... They're little kids. It was like Christmas with all these superstars in front of you and you just think, this is unbelievable. Like, you know what I mean? It's, uh, I just thought one day, one day, and you just keep your fingers crossed for that day and you've just got to graft hard because I know a lot of people think as soon as you make it to Scotland, whether it's the schoolboys or whether you got up into level, uh, they think that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm representing my country and I've done it. But for me to go on and represent your country... I mean, I went on straight from the under-18s. I played one cap. I think I had one cap. And then I went straight to the under-21s and became first choice with Robert Fleck. So that's how quickly football changed. And it changed for me because now I was playing, at that stage, I was uh, playing regular football, but for the first team at Dundee United. And that helped massively. And that's the step you take. And all of a sudden, you're in the 21s. It's a step closer uh, you're looking at the manager, the 21s, Ross Marthy, and, and uh, Craig Brown, assistant manager, was, and Andy Rocks was a manager of a national team. So you're kind of thinking, these guys are up for the, a lot of the youth development. So that was a big push. So there's an opportunity there. But the people I had in front of me was, I mean, I was surprised I actually got called up because I, Morris Johnson, Ali McCoy's, you know what I mean? Gordon Strachan's. I mean, I spent years backing these guys up. And they're only, what, between four and ten years older than what I was. So for me, it, it was, I think I was 22 when I got my first Scotland cap. Um, but for me to actually go and, and, and make that debut, it was because there was injuries. And I got that opportunity. And it was a case of, yes, I didn't keep the opportunity. I was in and out of the squad. But I knew then that I had the talent to put in a, a, a challenge to these guys. And, and that's the way that I seen it. Um, and I was—I didn't care if I was playing or not. I just wanted to prove on the pitch at Dundee United at the time and go on to Coventry. But at that time, I wanted to prove on the pitch that I was good enough just to get involved in the squads and whether I had to back up Gordon Strachan as a right winger, whether I had to back up the McCoys and the, the Morris Johnsons or McAnally's or whoever was up front for Scotland at the time, then so be it. But my chance will come, and that was what I believed in. I just had to be patient and wait for it. Did you feel ready? <laughs> no, I was shocked and surprised. Uh, you, know, you, you play in a cup final on the Saturday and you get beat. Uh, you score a goal, you get man of the match. So I was kind of half elated, you know what I mean, in, in many ways. You know, the team you support as a kid, they beat you. So I was kind of happy but sad because I got beat. I scored the goal, so I was still happy. And Sunday morning, I, just, I was in my Uncle Tom and my Aunt Cathy's back garden. And I just remember Aunt Cathy coming and just saying, congratulations, Andy Ross was on the phone. You called up to the national squad. And, and that was it. And it was kind of, yeah, so wind up. You're winding up now. And uh, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I'd been called up to the squad and I had to get to Tanadice and, and get my boots and get everything ready and, and get down to, to meet up with the guys because we had a game against Colombia on the Wednesday. What do you remember about your debut specifically then against Colombia? Uh, remember the wear yellow. <laughs> no, it's to be fair. You know, I remember turning up, and fortunately for me, we had like five Dundee United boys in the squad, so it kind of made it a little bit easier for me to to mix up with people. You know, there was a lot of players there, so they kind of as they do, they, they kind of get you under the wing and do the little 
spuggy under the, the shoulder, shall we say, and it's brilliant how it was and uh, that side of it. And you look in and you've got Roy Aitken who you've played against and you're thinking, oh, is, he, is he going to speak to me? What's he going to say about me getting them booked, etc. And, and things. And it was just, so I think it was a time that you realised that these guys were just normal guys uh, doing the same as what you were doing. And, and for me, it was just, I was just, I think the two days leading up to the game, I was like walking in cloud nine. It was unbelievable just to be selected. I didn't believe that I would play. I just thought I would be filling a lot of gaps that anything there. Uh, and the amount of players that were there, I thought maybe I might get to the bench, I'll be all right. But when Andy pulled me aside and, and said that the left back for Colombia done a little bit on him and he's quite slow, so we're going to start you on the right wing. Little did I know, and I just thought, wow, my stomach just turned upside down. It was butterflies were unbelievable. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to settle them down. I didn't know what to, you know if you take Alka-Seltzer or, or anything like that because I hadn't a clue in those days. So I was just there, and I think I must have went to the toilet about five or six, seven times before the game. And, but when you line up and or when you go in the warm up, you don't even look at them because I had so many things going through my head and set pieces and how the manager wanted me to play for the team and what he wanted me to do for the team. So I was trying to absorb all that we'd done for the last few days and for doing that, it was taken up. And so when it was ready to go out and line up, I just remember lining up and looking across and seeing this guy who had the widest hair bunch you'd ever seen. So <laughs> who is this guy? Not realising this was this guy called Carlos Valderrama, who was world-class. But seeing them and playing on the same pitch as them was, was phenomenal. And believe it or not, about seven years ago, I met a guy called Freddie Rincon when I was working on the Copa America. And just brought up, as I remember, in 1988, uh, I made my debut against Colombia and there was a young Freddie Rincon. And Freddie wow. played wow. again. So I thought, wow, but unfortunately, Freddie didn't really speak any English, shall we say. So we never really got a good chin wag about it. So the translator was to and fro but no, we had a good laugh about it. A small world football, isn't it? Yeah, very small. Well, your, your next cap came against England at Wembley. That's quite a significant rung on the ladder for a Scotland player. If, if you were nervous before the Columbia game, was it ramped up even further for that occasion? Yes, I'll tell you now, because just as you mentioned that the hairs of my arms stood up, uh, I mean, because it, it means so much to the country, Scotland versus England, we all know that. It was a massive game, and they always are. A Rouse Cup, probably the last, last Rouse Cup at Hamden as well. And for me, you know, just to be part of it was brilliant. Uh, I played against Colombia. I still thought, I, still, I think I was still in the clouds from that game when we were going to play England at Wembley. And, when the manager announced the team and I wasn't in it, I wasn't too disheartened. You know, I was there supporting the team, but I was watching people like guys like Tommy Burns, man, a legend in Scottish football. And he was on the bench and I was like, I'm looking at Tommy Burns, I'm looking up to him. And we went out, I remember going out at Wembley and, and you walk up, you go around the dog track and we all went to sit down. I went to sit down and we sat, sat down and done the national anthems and we just sat. And next minute, Tommy Burns got off his seat and went for a warm-up. And I thought, well, he's going for a warm-up. This is a bit early for if we go for a warm-up. I thought, I'm going to go and join him. And we stood 
and we watch the fans. We done a warm up. We watched the game. We're watching the fans behind the goals. We're watching the fight, and it was brilliant. And I just thought, just what you do as a substitute at international level, you watch the crowd. And I'm just watching Tommy Burns and just thinking, just what you do is this the reality of of being it. And I thought, ah, just enjoy it. And I was just out all the time with Tommy Burns, and I, and I think it's a little trick that he learned that if you're out all the time, you're in the manager's eye. Because the both of us got on that day. So it must have came to fruition because I got on. And I remember getting an opportunity and behind, again, I grew, uh, ended up a friend of mine, Kenny Sanson, for England. And I got a chance and Peter Shelton pulled off a great save to his feet uh, in the bottom left-hand corner. And if only I just sneaked in and we'd have got that draw, you know, I'd have probably been a bigger Scotland legend. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been hard to to overcome a moment like that or find a superior moment like that as a Scotland player, given it was only your second cap as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just to get an opportunity, I was just, I mean, I think like Roy made a magnificent run as well and, and just got in a box and it came across and I've just caught it and I thought, this is going in the corner and you forget how good Peter Shelton was. He was a top world-class goalkeeper at that time for England and, you know, I thought, I've pulled one out here I'm away, you're getting ready to celebrate. No, he just manages to get down to it and, and blocked it. And that was okay. It wasn't disappointment because I thought I've hit the target. That's the main thing. And the players can't have a go at me. manager can't have a go at me for shirking out of it. So for me, it was a good opportunity. But unfortunately, at the end of the day, a 1-0 defeat and you take it on the chin and you go, well, next time we play them, hopefully we can get something over them. You mentioned a couple of the Dundee United players that would take you under their wing. Was Tommy Burns a similar figure? I don't think I've ever heard anyone say a bad word or a, a disparaging word about Tommy Burns, especially the the former players like Kenny Miller and Gary Caldwell that I've interviewed that were part of the Scotland setup when he was a coach with McCoist. They, they have great stories and great words to say about the pair of them. But when Burns back then as well was a a player alongside you how, how do you look back on your, your time with him yeah you know I mean, obviously with you kind of I kept a kind of side eye we Jim McLean didn't like it but I kept a side eye on how Celtic were doing and how good they were getting and, and etc etc and people like Tommy Burns on that side you know were, were legends in my eyes watching them uh, the way they played and to actually be going and playing aside people like you know, I mean Tommy Roy Aiken and that Paul McStay to go and play Mo Johnson, I mean, you can name them, was just like something different for me. You know, I was like, wow, maybe I'll get that opportunity one time to, to go and sign for Celtic like I did when I was younger. So it's just waiting then. But it was always something in the seat of the back of my mind about my grandfather. But with Tommy Burns, you know, and going, we've been such a legend anyway, top quality player. And you always admire left footers because there's something about a left footed footballer that they just look so elegant and, and, and Tommy just looked elegant on the ball. And I mean, it's, it was like Davy Cooper. When I watched Davy Cooper at Clyde you just think, wow, look at him. He just seemed to be streets ahead of right-footed guys. And I thought, why can't I be left-footed? I need to try and be left-footed like that. And it just looks so nice. But um, it was just that day because he's an experienced pro and because I was just like a puppy dog, a young dog going into the group of dogs and, one of the male dogs went for a walk. I followed that male dog and I watched him, everything he'd done, how he warmed up. I tried to emulate it and copy it and see if I would be ready, if it would help me. Um, and it did. I enjoyed it. It took my mind off the nervousness. So when the manager eventually said to me, Kevin, you're getting a run out, on you go. I wasn't nervous. 
you know, my, my butterflies dead gone. I, I wasn't even thinking that anymore. And so I learned something new from one of the older pros to, to settle me down. And, and it was just by switching off a little bit that I wasn't thinking of, hey, this is going to be my job. This in case if I get on, this is my job or that's my job. I didn't have to think about that. I was just watching the crowd, having a laugh, having a bit of banter. And Tommy'd run past and he'd just say, look at the mugs up there, look, fighting. And you turn around and there's a big rammy and you think, I thought he was warming up, but he's not, he was watching the crowd. And little tiny things like that always stick in your mind and you always take it as a young player and, and try and go on because they got there and if they're doing it and they get there, if you're a young player and you can take that advice on board, hopefully, hopefully it just helps you. There was uh, a couple more games. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah, a couple more games in the late eighties against Norway and Italy for you, and then quite a significant gap before you managed to get on the pitch for Scotland again. That was against San Marino in '91. Was that just down to competition for places? I think it was. I think that was just the way it was. It was looking. Uh, I'm trying to look back. I'm trying to remember that gap because it was a big, big gap. But. As I said, the players that we had for Scotland at that time were unbelievable, top quality footballers. There's no doubt about it. And just to be part of it or be beside them was, was fantastic. But, you know, my position, we had an abundance of forwards, wide players, as I said, with Gordon Strachan. It uh, went on for years. And so you had these guys that were playing, had a little Pat Nevin. So you'd always, with Joe Miller as well at Celtic. So we, we'd always had people that were, you were always challenging people and getting that challenge. And, for me, it was a case of getting a, a game with Dundee United on a regular basis. And I think when I got to the age of 21, so that would have been 89, 89 year, the uh, start of 89, 90, leading up to the 90 World Cup, uh, I think I had a big fallout with the manager uh, at Ibrox uh, the season before. And he, he was going to find me a couple of weeks' wages for Ali McCoy scoring an equaliser in the cup in, in Rangers time, shall we call it. And um, the manager found me two weeks' wages and I couldn't believe it. I thought, no way you find me two weeks' wages. That's absolutely raging. Um, so we finished the season. I, he hadn't found me. There was no finding, no wages taken off me. And that summer I got married and uh, things had changed. I thought, oh, we've got ASICs now as a new club sponsor and just married. I'm, I'm, I'm buzzing, really buzzing. And I went into pre-season training on the first day and I was running really early. And I got a, got a shout, get yourself upstairs. I thought, oh, something not happening here. Maybe he's wishing me all the best that I've just got married and settle a new life and things like that. No, it just brought up, remember the, the game against Rangers? At the end of last season, well, I'm going to find you the two weeks' wages now. And I just fell out with him then. And that was, I know he didn't really drop me out of the side, but my head wasn't with Dundee United at that moment. Uh, so for the next few months, uh, I knew there was a World Cup in 90. And that's what I wanted to get to with the World Cup. Uh, but I wasn't seeing eye to eye with the manager. And I, because I got married, I think I got a little bit braver. And I kind of thought, I don't know, my wife was trying, she was getting, trying to get me round and like get your head back in the game again. And I said, well, I can't because she says, well, the manager's never took the wages off you. He never took the wages off me. It was just a threat with a threat with a threat. And I just thought, I can't have this. And then by, I think it was January time, 
just after Christmas, and I thought, well, I'm going to be here. Uh, but I was in and out the side, my form was up, my form was down. And then Andy Roxburgh said to me, look, I can't include you for games for a World Cup in 90 if you're not going to be playing regularly. So in my head, I thought, good, right. Uh, if I get a club and a club come in for me, I'm going to be playing regularly. And Coventry came in and Jim McLean said, go speak to Coventry. Uh, they've offered us a million pounds. We've accepted it, so go and speak to them. And in those days, when they accept it, you're out the door, really. So... I went down to speak to Coventry, I got the deal that I wanted, and I thought to myself, well, I'm going to be playing regularly here at Coventry. This is a good opportunity that I'm going to get in the squad to the World Cup. Andy Roxburgh never kept that promise. Um, I played in B internationals, I played in friendly matches, I showed how fit I was, I played nearly, I, played, I think I played every single Coventry City game from January all the way through to May, and he never selected me. And there's the biggest disappointment ever. Uh, it's probably the only World Cup I've never ever watched. Uh, but for me, it was disappointing because I thought, I'll take it in the chin and come back from the holidays uh, fresh and, and see what happens. And I come back fresh, rejuvenated at Coventry. Um, we got a new house, settled in, got some friends. And that was it. It was a new lifestyle and the way it went. And for me, I just got my head down, worked hard and try and get over the disappointment of that 90 World Cup and uh, just carry on. So hopefully Euros was the next one in 92. That's my opportunity now. So I've got two years to prove myself at Coventry. Um, and then that would mean I've probably got, I think, another year left at Coventry. So it's up to me if I want to become a big name in England. And I think fortunately for me was because I was a Scottish internationalist, I thought people knew me in England. They didn't know who I was. And Celtic wanted me back up the road. And because people in England didn't know who I was, I thought, no, there's my there's my car. That's my challenge. I want people to know in England who Kevin Gallagher is. And probably even to this day, there's a lot of people in the English game uh, don't know that I come from a, a very, very big football family. So the 1990 <laughs> World Cup was... It was too difficult for you to watch because you weren't included in the squad. It was too too yeah. difficult to switch from a scorned professional to a to a Scotland fan. Yeah, very difficult. Uh, you know, it was just one of those things. I I thought when the manager spoke to me and, and said, "Look, you need to be playing regularly," I took it literally that I had to be playing regularly. I played, as I said, I turned up for B matches. Uh, I didn't give any qualms about it and say, well, hold on a minute here, I played in the national team, why am I in the Bs now? I didn't, I didn't, I played in the B, I, I, I was on a bench in a couple of them. I didn't throw a fuss, uh, maybe I should have, maybe that's what they were looking for, I don't know. I didn't throw a fuss, but when that squad got announced and I didn't get in it, I thought, oh, this is kind of weird. But then you look at the guys that, that got there, you know, and you think, Phew. Just think, if you were one of those top six guys or top six strikers or forwards or whatever, you'd done well to get in there. And that was it. So the challenges were thrown in front of my face. But the 90 World Cup for me, I, I believed that I could have. I was on the verge. I was, I was there. I was on the short tails of it, but never ma managed it. So when you're, what was I, 24 years of age and you're getting left out of World Cup, uh, it's kind of disheartening a little bit. So you're thinking it's going to get harder, but think of these guys are getting older and uh, there might be an opportunity of course for the next uh, competition so get your head down and work hard again so as I said 
I went away to America, three weeks in America, and that was it. Uh, I had a great time, no football, no nothing, uh, and then came back and then found out, obviously, through news in America, new details of, of the games and the results. I kept thinking, wow, if I'd have been there, would have made the difference. I don't think I would have. I'd have probably sat on the bench, just like one or two players. Might not have got an opportunity. So for me, I just thought, what's the point? I'm open on it. Get over it, wee man. There's going to be more disappointments for you. If you don't go over it, then you might never actually get there again. So that was why I had to do it. So I swept it under the carpet. Looked forward to 92 and started afresh at Coventry. Terry Butcher, new manager, and the rest is history. It just lifted up for me like a spaceship going to the moon. And I just thought, wow, this is phenomenal. And this is what I want to do now. And but I was, what was I, 24 years of age. So I was quite late in the way that it all happened for me. You only played in a couple of the qualifiers for 92, so was it a surprise to be included in the final squad? Yeah, it was. But the way we had been gone, as I said, for 90, that was probably the thing I realised at the time, the aftermath of it all, that at the end of the day, I was a backup player. So I'm not officially going to be in that 22-man squad. I'll probably be in the 44-man squad within one of the four teams that Scotland had. So for me, it was just a case of manner, like Dundee United, waiting for the right time and, and getting an opportunity and when it came. And again, I wasn't initially in it, but then when I got called into the squad, I thought this is an opportunity because a lot of the time when you get called in last minute, generally you get used at some stage. But I got called in, um, I didn't get used, but then when I did get used, it was only game we won. Was it, is it quite easily forgotten how much of an achievement it was to qualify for the Euros back then, given there were only eight teams involved. Yeah, it's so easy to forget how hard it is. You know, people talk about today and you get so excited. We've had a second opportunity now and we've got into the Euros again. Thank goodness for that. But, I mean, go back in the days, man. You, some of these countries that you're playing against, and they, were, they were top, top class. And they were unknown and that was the thing. You, you knew very, very little of a lot of countries and you were going to play against them. And that was the thing. And I think that was the good thing for Scotland because a lot of countries didn't really know you and you didn't know about them. The top countries, the Brazils and the Germans, you knew everything about them because they're on the TV and you see them and things. But I think there was an element of surprise in a lot of the things as well and, and a lot of the games were harder. Whereas now all the players are moving around the world and I think it's a lot more difficult because you know these players now. You got minutes against the Netherlands and Germany, but you started against well, what is now Russia. Uh, would that be the proudest moment of your career at that stage, starting at a major championship for Scotland? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, when you get the the, the shout, uh, going kind of drags, try and get... Uli Stilica all the way back, create some space, and you think, wow, this Uli Stilica, what a player this guy is. Played against him against Nostal, Zamax, and you've got all these top German players. Uh, but when it comes to Holland and they go Koeman, and you just think, wow. I mean, they just did an abundance as well. You go and play against these guys, and you think, this is unbelievable. It, I'd have loved to have started against them, but because you're an impact player coming off the bench, try and make something happen and 
unfortunately, it wasn't quite working out that way. You know, the game, it flowed, uh, the opportunities, but we just, I mean, Dennis Bergkamp, typical lack him on, off the bench, and you think you get on, you're just getting ready to get into the game, and Dennis Bergkamp scores, and you think, oh, here we go. Like, is that me? Because now I'm going to get on my back because I brought a substitute on. But it wasn't like that. So, you know, you just think, you're getting that opportunity. Can you get something in the game now? And can you get that goal to equalise it? It didn't happen. And then the same, as I said, with Holland. But when the, the squad, CIS, and we knew we were out of the competition. And people, and we knew the fans and, and the media and everything were talking about it. Oh, it's a nothing game. It's never a nothing game to a professional footballer. It means something. And for me, it meant everything. It meant this could be my career in the team or not. And we went out there and you know, people like Brian McClare and that as well was getting massive stick for not really scoring for Scotland. And you, you go out there with people like Paul McStay and all these top class players and you just think, this is a dream now. This is it's reality. And you are part of it. And you've got to appreciate that you are a good player. And that's the thing. You forget, you become humble and yeah, I'm all right. I'm not a bad player. But you forget how good a footballer you actually were. And when you name all these guys that you played alongside, and they could only make you better. I suppose your situation then is slightly comparable to Ollie McBurney's. At the moment, he's gone, I think it's 14 or 15 caps now without scoring. Tell us from your experience how difficult it is to keep pulling on the Scotland jersey with that pressure mounting up each game that you've not found the net yet. There's, there's, there's not, as I say, there's no pressure. You don't put pressure, you put enough self pressure on yourself anyway. But when you're not scoring goals, I mean, you just train hard. You, he's got a job to do. You know, Steve Clark's saying to him, This is your job. You're doing this for the team. And if you do it for the team, you're doing it for me. And this is what we want you to work. What the fans don't realise is the instructions he's getting from the manager. Yes, he's had opportunities and great opportunities, he's not scored. So what? He's getting into those positions. If he wasn't getting into those positions, I think the pundits would be giving him more stick. But he's getting into those positions, which means he's doing things right. Now is a case of us actually scoring the goals. Now, for me, when I played for a national team, very rarely did you get three or four good opportunities. Very, very rarely. And you had to take one of them. International level, you must take one of them. Um, that's the difference between proven goal scorers and not so proven goal scorers. And that's the thing. And you can dig it out. I mean, when I watched the, the McCoys and the Morris Johnsons scoring goals for Scotland, they just knew where the goal was. They had one opportunity, bang, it was in the back of the net. They just done that. Different types of player will do different things. For me, sometimes all I make Bernie does too much work coming back the way. But when he goes forward, he's actually a little bit exhausted. So when he finishes it, it's, it's a half-hearted finish. And unfortunately, it's not in the right. But I believe it, if he keeps his head down and working hard, the goals will come. When you scored your first goal then against Estonia in the, was it the qualifiers for 94, yeah. can, you, can you tell us then about the, did you feel a massive relief come off your shoulders or was it just absolutely incredible joy? Incredible joy. Uh, I never even thought about the monkey in my back, I must be honest, because if I really do, you could have probably put my first 20 caps and probably made about 10 90-minute games or something out of them because you're coming off the bench in five minutes, 15 minutes. If you everybody counts him, oh, he's got 20 caps. 
no, I've got 20 minutes. I've got like a minute in each game. And that's what you're looking at and you think, right, if I can get an X amount of time. And to get that goal when it came, uh, it was more um, enjoyment, excitement, and the thought of actually scoring your first Scotland goal in a pink shirt was wow. Because it was like salmon pink and it was, it was great. And it'll always probably be remembered as a nice little beach shirt. Uh, just going back to the, the if I don't, I'll continue with your goal for a second actually, I want to ask you, can you still see it so clearly in your head? Can you replay the moment? Absolutely no problem. I can only replay the moment that I put it in the net and run away. Uh, I can't remember who cut it back, uh, but I just remember getting it and, and getting the side foot, almost a tap in at the back post, dead easy for me. And you think if you miss that, that's it. Your, your international career could really be getting hindered, but just to get that first goal uh, meant everything, uh, as you said. It did take the the kind of the size of pressure off you because people knew you could score goals in the Scottish leagues. Um, you could score goals in England now because I had been doing. It's just getting that first international goal, but people don't realise how much harder it is. Even the same chances you get at club level, how much harder it is to actually take these chances. And to take that one and get it in the net was just, it was like, wow. And I just felt like, I mean, you were just running on a full tank of petrol again. It was brilliant. You played against some serious operators in your early Scotland days, or the, the kind of the first half of your caps of England, Italy, uh, Holland, Germany, and then on to Portugal and Italy in the qualifiers for 94. When you're playing against these larger nations who are obviously superior technically and known the world over, do they... On the park, do they demean the, the smaller nations at all? Do they do they give a bit and make you kind of feel like much smaller in comparison to them? No, they just take the piss out of you. It's <laughs> <That is laughs> not. I, I remember playing against Italy, and I was chasing down uh, Costa Curta, and then the balls got played across. Baresi plays it at the back and, and goes away, and and Costa Curta. I think we're about sixty minutes gone in the game, and he turned round to me. And very pidgin English at the time. And he says, are you not tired yet? And I just looked at him. Went, Why? He says, you're doing an awful lot of running about. <laughs> not, there's the banter. You know what I mean? Okay, it's a little bit different. But I'm thinking, he's just looking at him. I thought, that's it now. Now you're getting it. Well, and I just couldn't believe it. And you just think, he actually speaks English. And I thought he didn't even know what I was saying. And it, it, it was good. You know, it was, we gave him a tough game, but. You get to know these players and how good they actually are, good defensively, uh, good defenders. And I just enjoyed my time playing against them because that's what I wanted to do. You know, I, when I'm playing against McLeish and Miller and you're playing against these guys and you've played at Aberdeen, I mean, that's, I mean, they're tough playing against them. So for me, if you can play against Miller and McLeish, I've got the opportunity to play against Costa Curta and this guy called Baresi, who's world. Renowned, well, it must be quite easy, but I tell you what, it was a, a massive eye opener when you play against these guys. You actually scored against them in the Stadio Olimpico. It, having yeah. watched it back today on YouTube, <laughs> is one of the strangest finishes I've, I've ever seen. Have you never seen anybody lob a goalkeeper from one yard? <laughs> <laughs> the, no, the, I, despite, I, despite the nature of it, a, a serious <laughs> moment to save her, it brought Scotland back into the game at the time. It did, you know, and, and to become, I think I was only the second Scot, or there was only two of us still, I think, 
Scotsman scored against Italy in Italy in competition. I think John Gregg was the first one. But when we played, and I remember I got up and I remember playing against the defenders and I knocked the ball down to Ian Jesson. And Jesse said a great strike. But instead of I, I got I had it drilled into me, Dundee United, like if someone's shooting at goal, follow in, doesn't matter, the goalkeeper might fumble, anything can happen. And fortunately for me, Palukas pulled off a great save, but he's fumbled it. But the ball's looping in the air and it was I must admit, as I was running the ball, it took a lifetime. And I mean a lifetime. It would not come down. And I'm watching the ball. And at the bottom of my eyes, I can see Paluka getting up. And I thought, oh no, he's up. And I took my eye off for literally a split second, which worked out for the best fortune I could have ever had. Because as I put my eyes back in the ball, he's actually got himself in position and dived. And I mishit the ball. And it's gone over the top of him. And that. The relief in my body was unbelievable because <laughs> I thought that could have been the biggest sitter I would ever have missed in my whole life. But it ended up, I scored against Italy with one of the weirdest finishes ever <laughs> by a mishit shot from about two yards. Like as a striker, I'm sure you'll tell me it doesn't matter how you put it in. All that matters is that you did. I still went away with a hand in the air celebrating. <laughs> That's all that matters. When people I Google... Think it actually, I don't think it hit the net, actually. I think it just went over the line. <laughs> Look, when people Google the result, they'll see Gallagher 17th minute. That's that's really all that matters. Yeah, but that's that's the thing. And when people look at it and they'll see the goal scorers and look at the results and things like that. That's, you know, it's a lot of people forget about how they... A lot of, People forget about how the games, a lot of people remember how you're playing games. And I've met a lot of people who remembered how I've played in games and games that I score goals. And I'm thinking, did I score that game? And they went, yeah, yeah, I remember it vividly. And they tell you about them. And I'm thinking, I can't remember scoring in that game. And it's, it's wonder. And it's a wonder of, of Google now and when you get on the internet and you see all these things. And it's fascinating to actually look back and think, did I score against them again? And you look back and, yeah, you did. Podcast Network.